0: Welcome to For Fintech's Sake. I'm your host, Zach Anderson-Pettit, U.S. Content Director at Money 2020. My guest today is Kabir Kumar, Director and Investor at Flourish Ventures. Flourish is a top-tier venture firm in the fintech space. They back entrepreneurs whose innovations help people achieve financial health and prosperity. Kabir, actually our second Flourishidian flourisher. I don't know. We had Emmalyn Shaw on previously as well. I'll link to that in the conversation in the show notes. It was a lot of fun as well. This one was a blast though. Kabir has a fascinating background and I'm always impressed by the number of pans they have in a fire in the fire as a firm. And without further ado, enjoy our conversation with Kabir at Flourish Ventures. All now right. we're recording. All okay. right. Now that All we've right. covered uh, covered two birds with one scone. <laughs> turn exactly. that apart and listeners are just not going to get to know what the hell we're talking about we're just going to start with two birds with one scone oh and well then we're, oh well oh well they'll have to they'll have, to, have DM to dm us, us to find exactly. out you know, yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah this is a, it's a trick to get you more deal flow actually it's <laughs> if you're if you're raising and you uh you know you're focused on financial inclusion and you're also curious about scones then please email compare <laughs> oh, horrible horrible <laughs> combination oh, there we go we're changing your twitter bio right now <laughs> Exactly. Anyways. All right. Let's jump into this, man. So normally I like to start with a little bit of background on like where you came from, all that kind of stuff. Um, but after we got to know each other a bit, you said something that really resonated with me, which I don't know if it's like a groundbreaking idea or anything, but using it as a North Star, I think is unique. So the the quote that you said is investing is a vehicle for us to affect change little bit of a dove factor, right? Like when you see kind of what's happened in the world due to VC investment, yada, 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 like we see that. But the thing that I think is unique about you and unique about Flourish and unique about your background is that it's not just affecting change, right? Cause change can go up, down, good, bad, could be, change could be a lot of things. So I kind of want to start with the story of UPI in India and then get into your background from there. So how do, how do you feel about starting there? And then we'll, then we'll just yeah. get weirder and weirder.
1: Yeah, let's do that. I mean, I don't cool. know about weirdo, weirdo, but who uh, cool. cool. It's starting with, you can, first of I all, promise listen, it's, it's going to get weird. I promise. It's good to, it's good to be here. It's good to talk to you. You've had a number of my friends, by the way, you've had Joe Robinson. As you know, I'm an investor in Hummingbird. So he, he's a great guy. We just had a meeting and he's he just is. phenomenal. He's and then fun you've had, too. Yeah, he's, he's exactly. And uh, surprisingly, right? Because he yeah. comes across as I guess. <laughs> you you yeah. don't expect it, especially with a
0: company like Hummingbird. You're like, oh, yeah, exactly. you have a, a sense of humor, a dad's sense of humor. <laughs> you know, I, 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 was on, I was scrolling through LinkedIn and I saw some picture of him standing in front of a laundromat and just the dad joke of that and the yes money laundering that. Laundering that. good and stuff and also Joe. the way he
1: looked you know he had this like doing look at that photograph you know yeah like, and i mean w- yeah, on in this joke everybody
0: it <laughs> yes. kind of looked like a new york times like front page weirdly like he was very well posed and like the lighting was great but he was standing was a in front run. of us yeah a anyways who and who you, else who else is jo- in the portfolio?
1: joanne you've had joanne and david of course you know we Joanne and I conceptualized air and got that going a few years ago. Oh, and I, don't a think I, I don't
0: think I knew you were part of that conversation. I love that
1: yeah that, that's another story i mean if, if in the the weirdest part of our conversation i'm happy of course joanne is like the og you know i think we can joanne the OG. it's joanne the OG, is joanne so. like you yeah, can't even exactly. call her an og she's yeah, like pre
0: could... she's pre-og <laughs> pre- not <laughs> not in like an l not like that's not an age statement she no no, built, no i totally get it I yeah totally she get it. Yeah. built this right tech world amazing. Yeah. yeah yeah
1: and and she's an you know, just an amazing person, and then you had. I think I just looked at the the recent you know uh, sessions, and I think Dan Kimberling also came up, who's an amazing guy, and um, I always Dan's enjoy his fun. company. Yeah, exactly.
0: This, you um, just named a number of people that if you like, if you look at them from the outside, you're like, man, that could be a boring person. And then you get to know them and you're like, oh my God, you know where all the bodies are buried. You have all the stories. Oh, that,
1: is, that is great. That way. I mean, it's a yeah. Okay. So UPI, all right. Yep. So UPI, Unified Payments Interface, you know, the story of UPI actually, I, w- I would say is sort of a wake up call, you know, for the US on, on instant payments, um, as you know, sending money in the US is painful. You know, we all complain about it. I mean, why am I being charged thirty bucks to send money the same day? Like that just doesn't make sense. Uh, I don't know if you know Aaron Klein, by the way, at Brookings. Have you ever talked to him or read his stuff? I am not. Stuff?
0: No, I'm not fancy enough to know anyone at Brookings. Listen, I you, wish. Should, you
1: should quickly get fancy and get him because let's, he is. Let's do it. I'm gonna write awesome. it down Aaron Klein. I'll, I'll send it to you separately too. And he did some work with us. Uh, earlier this year and last year, and you know, he quantified what it has meant for money to move slowly in the US. So over the past 10 mm. years, the cost of slow payments to low-income Americans, in particular people with less money, was estimated to be over $100 billion. And this is all the stuff that goes to check cashers because you want your cash right away, right? It goes to payday lenders. It's all baked into the bank overdraft fees, all of those things. It's a $100 billion the
0: last 10 years for low income Americans. So that's because our payment system moves so slowly. Break that down for me a little bit. Is that kind of like when they say shutting down this bridge is going to create this amount of like economic loss, hypothetically, or are we talking like real dollars, like real overdraft fees, real... No, real dollars. It's real, real dollars. Bottom. Okay. Yeah,
1: but, but the, it's related to the,
0: the, the analogy you made in the sense that... Um, you know, it's
1: sort of the consequence of money not moving fast in the system is that you end up doing all this other stuff and this other stuff costs even more money. So it's slow to move money and then you're paying more money to do this other stuff, you know, and that's just ridiculous. Yeah, I don't know
0: know if you see that, but I'm in Kansas City, so I'm very familiar. (laughs) The payday loan capital (laughs) of the world, my man. Oh yeah,
1: exactly. Exactly. And so, so UPI, is as the name suggests unified payments interface is a is an api layer basically it's just an api layer that connects to the pre-existing interbank transfer system in india and so this is this is going to blow your mind it launched in 2016 so i was based in india for a few years with the world bank i was doing a bunch of other things and i got involved with a group that was building this kind of stuff and so it was officially launched in 2016 and I think as of last year, it's it's it is reached 50 times the volume of instant ACH, not the entire ACH volume. But in the U.S., instant ACH was roughly launched the same time, happened to have been launched roughly 2016. So in the same period, you know, and people say, oh, it's India, lots of people, you know, but actually America is more digitized. Okay, there are more people in the banking system. There are more access being given to the banking system, so it's more a reflection of just the architecture and the nature of this system that it is, you know, hit, hit fifty times. I think it's over two billion transactions a month. I think some wow. was easily sub fifty million. I think gotcha. last last year.
0: So so you're talking not necessarily volume of dollars, but volume of transactions. transactions. like yeah, like volume how... of
1: dollars. I don't I don't have that at the top of my head, but I think volume of transactions is pretty yeah. sizable. Of course, ACH. It's 25 billion. I think last year, the overall ACH transaction volume is pretty sizable. Wow. You know, in my head,
0: that's low. It's, I, numbers yeah, I in, the, I in the billions and trillions. I I'm know. just like, I don't know. I'm know. just making it up.
1: But the bottom line is this system launched in India, surpassed instant ACH in the US roughly the same time period. And what it does, it allows you to move money into and move money out of any bank account in the system and any wallet in the system. And in fact, Google Pay, okay, I don't know if you know this, Google Pay is the second largest money transfer service in India now on this system. It grew huge, it grew huge on the no system. I had no I think it is maybe 800, 900 million transactions so it's hitting the billion mark on a monthly basis so wow. it's a pretty sizable player on the UPI system and in fact a few years ago i think it was in 2019 2018 2019 maybe around that time it the google pay team actually wrote to the us fed saying hey you got to do the same thing in the yeah. us and um you need to you know kind of be inspired by this by the system in india and you've got to do the same thing in the U.S. because, as you know, we still don't have a Fed instant instant payment system. So
0: yeah, yeah, I'm I'm aware. It's starting to turn into a meme. the The Fed now is starting to please become make like- it a meme. Seriously, like <laughs> someone, please just because
1: I mean, listen, we had a mass. I mean, UPI was a wake up call before the pandemic, but the pandemic showed us how bad that stuff is. how it can really hurt people i mean people needed cash right away and all over the world people were able to send money within the same day within three days within seconds in some countries Mm -hmm. right and here it was like months you know and then it came in checks and then money was sent to the wrong people you know like it's just ridiculous (laughs) you know so anyway i so i was based in india and we i got involved with this group that's technologists, investors, you know, startups, it's like a whole government officials, a hotspot group that was like, let's build stuff that leapfrogs this country. You know, that's, that is the change, as you were saying at the top, that is the true meaningful change. It transforms this country and it's pro innovation and it's pro the small guy. It's pro like new stuff. You know, let's create things that build, take us forward, leapfrog the system. And UPI was one of these ideas that was conceptualized. And I was there at the launch. I think I was telling you when we last spoke, like it was like a party. You know, there was like a disco ball. <laughs> I remember yeah. it being like a crazy, one of those, they must have just hired a wedding platter or something like because he, the guy just went crazy. And they, like the room was full of all these startup founders, you know, and they, the UPI was being introduced to them. Saying, guys, you got to take this on. And I remember Nandan Nilakani. I don't know if you know Nandan Nilakani. Nandan mm-hmm. is one of the Indian billionaires. He created Infosys. He was oh, also the okay. guy well, behind... I know what he's done. I don't know him, but I'm familiar yeah, He with was also with the guy behind the Indian ID system. Holy you shit. Know, he was what's, the first, what's, yeah. Say his and name he one is, more time. He is the visionary uh, behind say, the... Say the, his name
0: one more time. Nandan Nandan Nilakani. I might I'll, just have I'll, to have you send I'll that I'll send one you to you me. Yeah, yeah. I don't think my American brain's going to spell that one correctly. No, no, no worries.
1: <laughs> he's, by the way, he's an amazing guy, you know, and he's just an amazing approach. Amazing guy. And so he was up there. He's, he was one of the visionaries behind all of these, what what you could call these public good systems, mm-hmm. you know, and UPI is like one part of that stack. And so he was up there explaining this. And I remember like one of the <laughs> startup founders, like raising his head. he's like, Nandan, like, this is awesome, you know, but why the hell do we have to partner with a bank to do this, you know, we gotta, we are here mm. to like beat the banks, right. you know? And then Nandan was like, what problem do you have partnering with one bank, you know? So this was like the d- debate that was going on live in that room, where he was saying, look, you know, we you can move forward, just one bank. You just need to find one bank partner and you can be part of the system and you can move forward. And that was part of the you know amazing vision of this. It was saying, hey, even the smallest startup can get access to this system as long as you find that one bank partner. There are many bank partners to be had that were already certified and part of the system. And then it was telling the incumbents, look, we're not challenging your hold on the accounts, okay? You keep the accounts, all right? But you can't like block other innovation moving forward, right? So this stuff yeah. has to come on. These guys need to get access and you're gonna make it possible for them to build the next layer of innovation yeah. on top of that.
0: I'm noticing so, some overlaps, small exactly, overlaps at least between overlap. the US.
1: Yeah, in the US, I think the progressive part of the Democratic Party, I think needs to recognize that you can build, you can embrace innovation, you can challenge incumbents, you can create room for the small guy, you know, and the small gal you can uh, transform the system without, um, you know, uh, kind of being technophobic and without necessarily fearing some of the fundamental ideas in what technology can bring. And I I think that's one of the things that I loved about being involved in that work in UPI. I mean, it was just... And that was one of many things I was fortunate enough to be involved in. And, um, and that's, that's, that's really sort of the motivator, right? That's what I what I mean by change is that kind of change. I mean, the system has totally changed in India as a result of that. We've transformed the architecture of finance fundamentally, fundamentally. Has know, that, and that's the stuff you want to do.
0: Yeah. Ha, so has that created a, just a renaissance of entrepreneurs in the finance or fintech space, like the, the fact of these new, or maybe not even in fintech, but just the, the idea of this new level, this new type of architecture, new rail to run on, has it kind of created a whole bunch of entrepreneurs running towards it? I think you were just kind of hinting at that, but hundred percent.
1: I mean, look, you, you, you don't need infrastructure to inspire entrepreneurs, right? And <laughs> are gonna do stuff, They're yeah. gonna, they, and they're everywhere. And they're yeah. all the time creating things, you know? So this that's gonna true. happen. Yeah. And in India, that's happening more and more and more, right? There's no doubt about that. And I remember PTM, you know about PTM in India. Yeah. And Vijay Shekhar was at, on a panel uh, many years ago, the CEO of BTM. And he was saying, you know, when I first started, <laughs> no one wanted to work for a startup because, you know, in India, you, you have a arranged marriage. You have these matrimonials in the paper. So no one wanted to say, I work for a startup, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you're never going to get married. Basically, that's what. It like it was the most uncool thing,
0: you know, and that's you know, wild. That is, Has you know, that changed? It, it is I think that's
1: changed. Yeah, this was like 2016 even, mm-hmm. you know, you would say 2015, 2016, that is now no long, no longer the issue, right? It is just, this is the future, people have embraced it. And I think Nandan and all of these folks have played a big part in it. And of course, once you get the idea and you want to do something, this infrastructure just makes it easier. Yeah. Right? I mean, the fact that you can get access to all the bank accounts in the country, that should make it easier. Right. The fact that you can KYC <laughs> anyone yeah. in the country of a billion people. That should make it easier. So that's the idea. It doesn't mean like we're going to suddenly spawn like, you know, amazing new entrepreneurs. It's just that when they arrive on the scene, their on-ramp is pretty easy.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, it it reminds me of at least Unit in the U.S. who's part of the Flourish portfolio. I mean, they're building against a much harder... (laughs) <laughs> exactly. A, much more of an uphill battle in terms of, you know, ACH settlement and everything else. But the the general thesis and like underlying raison d'être, like reason of reason of living seems very similar.
1: You bang on. I mean the ethos is very much the same. And you know, that's why we are
0: investors. Well, a, and a, a tie-in teamer hard uh, not to hard yeah. not to love and hard not yeah, to yeah, invest yeah, exactly. in. I'm still That's trying true. to find somebody that'll say something negative about either Shield Monat or about a tie empty. Those are the two. And ironically, impossible. Shields an investor. Impossible. It's impossible. I can't like impossible. I cannot find a person. I'm, I'm pretty convinced that Shields just murdered everyone. Like anybody that has a negative opinion of him, he just like he, he murders it's them impossible. and puts them in the ground. He's exactly. Shield is actually Dexter. I don't know how often I don't know how often Shield listens, but I know he listens occasionally. He was one of my first. uh, he was one of my first guests. I know he listens occasionally, but Sheil, I hope you listen to this because I just called you a serial killer. Um, <laughs> let's exactly. keep going into a little bit more of like your, your background, right? So that that's a great stage setter. But how the hell did you learn all of this shit to even know to get to that spot <laughs> in the world? And specifically, one of the questions that I really, really wanted to ask you when I was creeping on your LinkedIn In 2002, for two years, you kind of hinted at it earlier about the World Bank, but you worked on gender and development. Yeah. What does that mean? (laughs) Okay. All right. So,
1: first of all, you, you mentioned Shiel, right? Yeah. And Shiel often tells this story. About C.K. Do you know C.K. Are you familiar with? You're these?
0: just like throwing out all like these
1: are no, I don't. Right. You're throwing so you out know, all you, these you, names that so don't. So know. you know, you know, Fortune at the bottom of the pyramid. You must have heard that phrase. You must yeah. have heard this idea. Yeah, yeah CK phrase. So that's oh, okay. his, That was his book, and that was like the idea a while ago that a lot of us were very mm-hmm. influenced by, going back ten plus years, twenty years. 15, 20 years was this notion that you can serve poor people and you can build sustainable businesses doing that, mm-hmm. you know? And I think we were all kind of really taken by that. And shield talks about how he actually went and actually worked with CK Prelat, I think. And because he was also inspired by that. I was also inspired by that. And, you know, I was actually really enamored by microcredit, going, going back 15 years. And that was like the front edge of innovation in emerging markets, you know? Mm-hmm and so it was basically you know group collateral right you're poor you have literally no collateral how do you move forward your little money no collateral what do you yeah. do and so the, this idea that the group would vouch for you your family your neighbors you know people say hey this guy has a good credit risk you know help him launch that corner store or whatever yeah. you know and that was pretty powerful and um so that i was kind of interested in being part of that because I was like, that—that—that that, that is like the expression of fortune at the bottom of the pyramid. Like, that's how it comes to fruition. That's how it's real. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, I and, mean, hence,
1: S.H.I.E.L. getting into Kiva and whatever yeah, else, exactly. right? Like like, it all, yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. And, and in fact, Chris Larson, you know, before Ripple, he did Prosper. And I remember talking to him at that point, like, and he was saying that, um, he was inspired by uh, his trips to Vietnam and seeing microcredit. That was like the big. That's what gave him the idea for Prosper. You know, I mean, Peterloo Lending has had a had an interesting history, but that was the kind of inspiration for like how do I how do I build it, how do I digitize this microcredit yeah. lending world? Yeah. And of course, Kiva was like, how do we folks here who have some additional capital? How do we finance these loans? Right. All over the emerging markets. I think that was the 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 primal notion was, was that. So I started talking to people and then I met someone who, was, who had just kind of set up a microfinance uh, entity in, in, in India and they were looking to hire. And, but then he also said, turned around to me and he's like, you know, actually, uh, I'm talking to the Gates Foundation and they are, they are thinking like this stuff on microcredit is interesting, but it's broken. It's mm. mono product. It's like this, it's one, it's loan. Basically, it's saying anywhere in the poor world, if you need money, you got to start a small business. That's kind of ridiculous.
0: You I know? never thought of it that way. Yeah. That's yeah, actually, gotta, that's, you know, a, that's so a very it's good point. product. Yeah. And
1: it doesn't scale that well because, you know, how do you, it, because the digitization hadn't baked in then, right? It's still... Um, It just doesn't scale that easily. And in fact, if you scratch the surface in a lot of the emerging markets outside of India and some Latin American countries, it was really propped up by like grant money, you know, and donor money. It wasn't really meeting that commercial, you know, threshold. Right. And so we got to change that. We got to revolutionize that. And this was, by the way, 2006. Geez. I'm, I'm an old man.
0: And no, 2000- I mean, that's, I say geez, because that's, it's unbelievable that some of the infrastructure, well, I mean, some of the infrastructure existed, but just the fact that people were thinking this way. Oh yeah. In yeah, 2006, yeah. like I was a freshman in high school, dude. That's wild. <laughs> yeah. My son is a freshman in high school now. <laughs> that's wild. There you go.
1: So 2006, we looked at, this is 2007, the iPhone comes out, right? So 2006. We are like, okay, so this guy, okay, so this guy says, look, the Gates Foundation, I'm going to get, you know, whatever, 20, $30 million from them, basically to go out and innovate, to go out and like find new models. And we have an 80% failure rate. Like if we are not failing, that means we're doing something wrong. So we have to, and I was like, this sounds very cool. Like I want to be part of this. You
0: know? He's like, well,
1: you, you know, let's work this out. Let's be part of this. And so... And then we started working on this, and what we looked at is that the growth rate, cell phone growth rate in emerging markets, not the actual um, handsets that were available then, but the growth rate was going to outpace the growth rate in the web markets. It was growing like wildfire, you know? And, and we are like, this, like, we need to build something on these rails. Like, these are yeah. rails. Yeah. That's what we got to crack. Now, M-Pesa, are you familiar with M-Pesa in Kenya?
0: Yeah, very familiar. And th- we're just going to go back deep. Uh, Laura Speakerman was also one of my early. Uh, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, early I, interviews I'm and Investor lot- and
1: Alloy, by the way. So- yeah. We, so that- it's
0: so incestuous, this world we live in. But yeah, so Laura Laura was, I think, one of the first to educate me on M And since then, I've you know, tried to keep abreast, but yeah, very familiar, familiar ish, as familiar as I am with anything and uh, outside of the U.S.
1: I, I was just talking to Sultan, Megji, by the way, another g- guest for you, who's the chief innovation officer at the FDIC, one of the U S regulators. Oh, that would be he a spent, fascinating conversation. He spent most uh, part of his career for an organization, trying to get mobile money working in Africa. <laughs> like it's, it's kind of crazy. Like <laughs> it's like amazing. So anyway. You know, 2007, M-Pesa gets launched, right? And we were advisors to the UK government, this group, to give money to this telecom in Kenya. And in fact, I don't know if Laura told you this, but the origins of M-Pesa was how do we digitize microloans, the, the, because you know this is your brain can only take so much right so you're like looking at micro loans is like not working we're like all right how do we get them to work better let's let's get them to work through cell phones you know like that was the first step and then when people started repaying their loans but then people started doing more because you right. gave them a payment system basically right. so people were like we can send any money for anything you know yeah. that was the that's when people like and I think uh, MPESA's original projections were like a million People, or no, less than 500,000 people or something like that in Kenya in 12, 18 months. And like in a few months, they had already reached a million people. Like, it yeah, just I was going to say they, they, they overshot that goal. They were the shot test. in a big way. So that <laughs> I think then that was the world I got involved in basically, you know, and then we, we kind of propagated mole money systems all over the world. Um, you know, literally all over some, some of them worked out really well. Some of them failed phenomenally. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it, you know, taught me a whole bunch of things about how to do this stuff. And, you know, we work with startups. We work, we, we realize this is actually the origins of some of the work I ended up doing with Omidyar and Flourish, which was we're going to evolve the system. We can push innovation, but we have to evolve the regulators and the policy environment with it. So we were, I remember you know, helping the regulators in the Philippines develop an e-money regulation for the first time in the country, you know? Mm -hmm. And I remember we were advising the Pakistani central bank on, hey, should they permit telecoms to buy banks? Wow. You know, so you you couldn't do it. You couldn't like, you couldn't say, hey, let's use cell phones and do banking, you know, without building all of this other stuff to make it happen. And so it really exposed me to why that is also important. I mean, you need to get involved in that and then, you know, set me up for lots of other things later on.
0: It's really fascinating when you kind of when you take a step back and you look at the timeline of finance and telecom. I've never never really thought about this until you were just talking and thinking about, right, like the the mobile boom, right, in 2007 (laughs) and PESA kind of follows on to that. But it's not stopped there, right? Like pretty much everything is like even even today with some of the banking as a service stuff, like the bond where I was previously, like the CEO was the COO of Twilio, right? There's like this weird little overlap that just kind of continues to happen and happen and happen. And it also beckons back to some of the original... I don't, I don't know how they're phrased. I'm guessing you do know how it's phrased, but I, I just call it unique underwriting methods, uh, especially with, uh, with the cell phone. So oh, in yeah. that 2007, 2007, 2006, whenever it was, when, when did that piece start getting involved? Like the, how charged you keep your phone, all that kind of stuff.
1: But look already telcos were doing small, you know, because in the U S we are postpaid, right? We, in the rest of the world, telecom is prepaid, right? You're buying as you're using, basically, as you go, right? And so for people like and truly at the base of the pyramid, if you don't have enough money, how do you keep your phone charged for use? So telcos were wow. already running small like lending operations. They were already doing small ticket size, little, little bursts of lending. You know, so that people would basically cycle that back into buying airtime. So that's that they could
0: wild. I, this is a very American moment, but I always <laughs> thought that was sheerly about, like, if you keep your phone charged, you're probably a responsible individual. I never thought through that, that piece the, of it, the prepaid versus postpaid. Yeah,
1: No, and wow. by the way, you're hundred percent right. I, I was involved in 20, 2008, 2009, 2010. That's when, like, the... Your behavior on cell phone, how that could be a basis for lending, yeah, started to emerge, and we looked at data. To your point, like if you keep your cell phone charged, that's responsible. We looked at that, and there was clearly a pattern, like. And what was really interesting is like there were there you know as you can imagine there, we, you know you can see it in how we how all of us deal with our money differently. Right. There are people who would like let their account go up to ze- uh, you know down to zero and then charge it up again. Yeah. Right. And that was a different profile than someone who kind of maintained a steady balance of their charged account. And so you were trying right. to figure out so anyway that happened a little bit later. But the telcos were already lending in small ticket size on their own systems in one way or the other. You know, and I forget the name of the company.
0: There were a couple of big companies that emerged from that. Yeah. Do you have your phone near you out of curiosity? Yeah. Yeah, What, what percentage are you on? Let's do a, let's do a back and forth. I'm 35. I'm, I'm, on my... th- I'm on three. I'm on three. There you go. I think I have a better credit risk right now based on this <laughs> simple. <laughs> I think you're a better credit risk in general. No, um, I don't think so. I, no. I'm not sure what that says. I, that, I feel like I need to talk to my therapist about this, but that's absolutely hilarious. <laughs> that's funny. So, so how did you get how, I mean, you kind of, you hinted at it a little bit there, but tell me, like, how did you get to a midi-R and then I imagine the connection between a midiar to flourish is a midiar.
1: Exactly, exactly. Uh, so, so the group I was with at the, at the World Bank was or Media Network was one of the was one of the financiers, and you have to remember that sort of all all roads lead to this concept of can we build sustainable businesses in these difficult situations with mm-hmm. respect to people with less money, right? That, that is the core idea here. And Omidia Network pioneered what is now called impact investing. You know, it was not called that then. They, they were like, hey, you know, it, again, we are like all sort of in the long line of this, you know, fortune at the bottom of the pyramid notion. Right. And so uh, Omidia Network was one of the financiers of, of the group. I was at the World Bank and, and Tillman, who's our managing partner, at Flourish was the CEO of this group. And so when he joined Omedia Network, he recruited me. So I was in India, I was involved in UPI, I was doing all this other stuff. And he was like, hey, you know, you know, you should come to the Omedia Network group because we are doing, we're kind of pushing those boundaries of impact investing that you've been interested in all this while. So that's how I got involved. And our team, so we were the financial services team of the Omedia Network. The Omidia Network grew to be over 200 people, lots of different areas. But on the financial sector, actually this notion of, you can build a sustainable business, even for people with less money, worked better, right? You could build a good lending business, a fair, reasonable price, no price gouging, no crazy interest rates. You could get, improve people's lives because you got them alone, right? You could build a payment system, again, you know, that improve people's lives. So we were able to prove like, hey, this stuff makes money, not a lot, but makes meaningful money and it can improve people's lives. So Pierre was like, let's double down on that. You know, and that's basically the beginnings of Flourish. And so we spun out and became a separate
0: fund. Is financial health a, I mean, I, I see Omidyar across the entire ecosystem Yeah. Has he always had? And I mean, I guess we're kind of asking you to speak for him a little bit, but maybe you know. Um, Has he always had that passion? Did the did that passion come out of like work that he's done in his life, and then he realized that a lot of people don't have money? Did he try? Like, how? What made him care so much about this specific area?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. I, you know, Pierre and Pam. um, Yeah, 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 both both, right. They are just, you know. I think Pierre would say that he is an accidental billionaire, right? He, I think it, it's like, and there are many such, right, who kind of are honest about, they don't know exactly what happened, but they made it.
0: <laughs> you know, and,
1: yeah. and like he, I think it's like fastest from first line of code to IPO in tech history. It just moved really quickly.
0: Wow. I didn't know that. I believe and, it. I mean, yeah, based on just, the time that that happened and everything, it would make sense. And you know, he he is, he was like one of
1: those like, you know, uh, internet business folks who were like, the internet is going to change the world. Yeah. Like you see a bit of that in the web 3 crypto world now you know there's a whole there's a whole generation of these folks who are similarly saying the same stuff that yep. the original internet pioneers were saying and so Pierre yep. was one of them and he built I think there were like multiple things that he was doing and eBay was one of those ideas that just took off and, oh, and of course wow. that
0: was that was one of many things he was working on
1: yeah wow. there's a book actually that does a good job describing the sort of origins I, I can't remember I'll send it to you. Yeah, uh, please lots do. Lots of stuff I'm, to send to you. Yeah,
0: yeah. I was gonna say our yeah. follow-up email yeah. is gonna be robust. <laughs> <It's> massive.
1: <laughs> uh, so, so you know, I think he did what a lot of billionaires do, or people get rich very quickly. He's like, you know, I'm gonna create a foundation. and I'm gonna yeah. do philanthropy. And, but like in the first year trying to set up that foundation, this is before the Omedia Network. Hmm. He, you know, eBay had reached a million people. You know, and he had just basically like set up the payroll or the foundation or whatever. And so in his mind, he's like, I just we need more businesses like eBay. Like we need to do more of that stuff, you know, and I think that's really at the heart of what what motivates him. It's not about the sector. It's about where are these entrepreneurs? What problems are they solving? Who are these folks that are trying to have impact? And that those kind of ideas that ethos got baked into what Omedia Network is. You know, and then that, that then got further baked into our work in the financial system and then led to us spinning out and becoming flourished. I don't know if I, yeah. I kind of try to answer that question. It's not like he's. No, thinking I mean, it's a hard. Finan-
0: yeah, you're, you're answering for someone else. So I appreciate yeah. the yeah, I appreciate the perspective in general. I'm I'm more and more fascinated by this whole generational wealth thing uh, yes, it's it's not because I'm developing generational wealth, but it's, it's more so just because of watching people handle it in different ways. Like, uh, right. Being in Kansas city, Patrick Mahomes, as an example, right. Man just got half a billion dollars over 10 years and he's investing in some really interesting ways in Kansas city, but pretty much all of it's philanthropic, you know? Yeah. And then yeah. Kansas city also has this history of art. You being you, I'm guessing you're familiar with the Kaufman fellows.
1: Yes. Yeah, yes, and do.
0: the Ka- the Kauffman Foundation is yes. the you know the, yes. the, the the base of that, um, and I lo- I love the Kauffman Foundation, but I think there are things that Ewing Kauffman, rest his soul, rest in peace, my friend, is like one of my heroes from, that I never got to meet, would probably question some of the work that they're doing, right? Because the the <laughs> the strategy shifts a lot. Is it Kansas City or is it global? Is it regional or is it Kansas City? You know, is it this or is it that? And it's evergreen, right? So it'll, they're doing a good job of investing and everything else. And that money will, will last. And it has created so much value for the world, but I'm fascinated by the Omidyar direction because of the fact that flourish, it flourishes, flourish and is flourishing, but also it's supporting the alloys of the world, the flutter waves of the world, the hummingbirds of the world, the units of the world. And also at the same time, scrolling up a little bit, Uh, into the ecosystem building piece, like the FinHealth Network and FinRegLab and AIR to our earlier conversation. So it's like this interesting balance between funding the nonprofits that will then feed into the for-profits that you're investing in by creating better regulation for the world. It just seems much more sustainable and it seems like it's doing better things for the world of business. And I think that's the thing that I struggle with about some of the Kansas city philanthropic stuff is it's, it's a lot about, it's a lot about philanthropy that ends up going to people's salaries to solve the problem versus going go. <laughs> to a business that would economically have incentives to solve the problem. Anyways, I feel like I'm on my well, I mean, uh, Pierre, I'm on my Pierre, high Pierre, horse,
1: but. Pierre, Pierre would appreciate, I think what you're saying. And I think you're right. I think you know, I think that's what we've been trying to do at Flourish. Yeah. You know, and, and, I, think, I, and I think you're doing it. I appreciate you saying that. I mean we you know, we, we are obviously internally always debating and trying to figure out. You know, what, how do we show up in the world? How do we have impact? What does it mean? And I can tell you, like, you know, I think if you, if you say, "Hey, you backed a company that's addressing financial crime," that's a pretty important deal for the financial system. That's why we this back. damn important.
0: I mean, yeah. you know,
1: African Americans, Latinx are two or three times more than white Americans to be victims of income and debt related fraud. Period. We, you know, we have one estimate that's like less than 1% of financial crime that we can, you know, I think Joe brought that up, the UN data. Yeah, yeah, the yeah, yeah. Well, that's, we all, she's got that tattooed on her forehead. Well, what <laughs> is sad about, yeah, exactly. What is sad about it is that's the only data point we all have. Like, we, we you know, like that's the bigger yeah. problem. Like we don't even have a clear picture of how bad it is. Yeah. You
0: know, and so, but I... I don't think we get it. Do you, do you think that the average American, when we talk about money laundering, understands what that means? No, Yeah. I I don't either. I think the,
1: I think that's one of the challenges, by the way, of the system we have built is that so much of, so many of us don't fully understand how exactly it works you know, and and it's hard to explain it. I mean, yeah. and even those of us who are in the industry, we, we've somehow, it sort of slips, the nuances sometimes slip our minds, you know, and because we've built a complicated stack, you know, and, and so so I, actually one of the things we've started doing, it, it's this comment of yours is an inspiration for that in a way, which is, can we build, um, no, like, can we help people understand the system better? Yeah. Who knows what it'll bring? Like we don't know, but can they just know what they're dealing with better, you know? Yeah. And like overdrafts, like a lot of people don't fully understand like how ridiculous that is. And, yeah, you know, they feel yeah. the pain, but how ridiculous the whole system is. So we started uh, actually financing documentaries, and we we started yeah, no we, shit, yeah, we you know, so we produced two documentaries just like to get our feet wet. Um, one is are called, they out? They're out. One is called Out of the Blocks, and it's actually on Maryland Public Television. And what we did is there was this amazing NPR podcast called Out of the Blocks, and it's like phenomenal. If you haven't heard it, you should check it out. It's basically I'm this guy googling
0: right now, yeah, who's
1: been like going block by block. It started in Baltimore, that's why it's on Maryland Public Television, block by block talking to small businesses, just about their life and their challenges. And of course those businesses were really, you know, most meaningfully impacted by COVID last year. And so we, you know, through one of our partners, we reached out to him We said, you know, can we kind of, you know, go out and find out what's happening with these small businesses. And so we shipped cell phones to them, you know, with COVID restrictions and everything, you couldn't send a film crew. And so people basically filmed themselves. And we strung together this documentary where people are talking about like through the course of like the last, basically, you know, most of 2020 and a little bit of 2021, what happened to them during COVID and like how, what was like government relief like and what was sort of the financial struggles like. And then the other documentary we produced is called Savvy. We, we actually, that was largely made. We, we contributed, what was known as finishing funds there. And that's about women and finance. And the fact that even, you know, the next generation of women are abdicating basically control of money to men in their relationships, that you're, you're still seeing, you know, and women are disproportionately bearing the burden of student loans, for example, and so on and so forth. And so we actually, the documentary is really cool because that's why it's called Savvy. It found these um, social media influences, women who have changed their own lives taking control of their finances. And then they either by design, like they chose to be influencers or by accident became influencers. Mm-hmm. And so sa- they are the savvy. And so savvy basically documents their lives and then also has guidance and advice on how we can people can manage their money better. So we have like a whole slate of projects in this stuff. And the, the germ of it, like the core idea behind it is what you were saying, how do we get people to understand what's happening with the system better? You this know, that was like the motivation for it. We ended up doing these project, but that was a
0: motivation for it. Yeah, it's it's fascinating. Now I'm I'm now your 89th subscriber on YouTube as well, as of two <laughs> seconds ago. Um, yeah, exactly. Yes, but there's be kind to us. We're just starting. So I mean, you <laughs> know, it's it's fascinating. And I mean re- <laughs> So now, now you got my head turning. Have you heard of a woman or heard of a show? The woman's name is Mariana Van Zeller. The show is called trafficked. No. So this I talked to, this was actually like the, I think, I think in the last episode that I did with David and Joey, and we talked about this, but this is one of those soapbox moments for me because Not only do I think people not, I think people don't understand the plight of others in a lot of situations, right? But especially in America, we really don't understand the plight or... Not even the plight. That's such a fucking American way to put it. The life, the just status quo life of those in emerging markets, overseas, South America, anything else, right? I mean, well, we I don't was understand listening. each
1: other's lives.
0: No, we you know don't understand I mean, you know, like, much of shit, really. Yeah. Like, you know, what's what's the average? What's the average um, yearly sal like yearly wage throughout the entire globe? I think is like thirty six, thirty seven thousand or something. Yeah. And in in Kansas or not in Kansas? State, sorry, in the U.S., you're like below the poverty line basically if you're making that amount of money but that's you know it's it's just such a fascinating thing anyway so mariana van zeller she's an investigative journalist and i also like this woman is just my hero she is unbelievable she's the best investigative journalist that i have Ever encountered outside of a couple friggin weirdos Z-Z-E-L-L-E-R. on vice. Z e l l e r. Uh, yes, yes, okay. and Mariana I think is one word, and Van is separate. I got it. I got it. Um, and listeners, I'll link to it in the show notes. It's I think it's incredibly important for folks in fintech to watch. It's a it's a full series, so it goes through. It's really, it's the human impact of money laundering, right? So there's like one episode that's oh, about man, cocaine. This. Yeah. Dude, it's, it's amazing. It's something that I try and force anybody that gets, especially in my last company, when I was at Bond, there were yeah. a lot of people that, you know, lived in San Francisco, had the San Francisco experience, used to work at Airbnb, like, you know, that whole vibe, right? Yeah. But <laughs> un- understanding, understanding, The underbanked understanding what financial lives are like for those in other countries, I think is just something people, I mean, understanding ACH is its own thing, much less, you know, putting yourself in the shoes of somebody carrying coca leaves 400 miles for $35 or something like that. Right. Yeah. It's it's just a perfect encapsulation of all of this. And it's in my role at Money 2020, like I really want to find a way to get her there to help everybody understand it. That's Um, a great idea. you should actually, watch it.
1: Actually, if you want, we should, we should find a way to work together. In we, should, to to we should. That's what I was thinking is we should partner
0: on this. Yeah. yeah,
1: we should do it. I mean, we, you know, we, this is what we want to do. We want to get these stories out. We think it's important. And by the way, like our board, Pierre, all this is, you know, this is one of the things that they really want us to show up in, in a way that's different. You know, and I think that's why I always, whenever I'm talking to startups, I say, look, we are, we are not, <laughs> yes, we are venture capital. Yes, we will be looking at valuation, blah, 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 yeah. blah. But we this is what I meant by we want the system to change. Yep. And so we are talking to you because we believe you're part of the story from our perspective you know, um, yeah. you, or you could be part of the story from our perspective, you know? And well, I think
0: together we can, we can form a story, right. Which yeah. actually brings me to a question. Yeah. Does, does flourish have a podcast? Do you all have a podcast? No, <laughs> we, don't, we don't have a podcast. Maybe yeah. it's something worth considering. I, I mean, you so. have some, you have some amazing personalities inside of your fund and you also have good stories reach. Yeah. And great entrepreneurs. And like, I would, I, 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 would I would listen. I would listen.
1: I think it's probably in the works. I don't know. We should talk to Sarah or whatever, and, yeah. and find well, out. I'm
0: here to here to yeah, help. You, if, yeah, you know, yeah, in yeah, any yeah, way, yeah, shape, yeah, yeah. or form. If it's you know, oh, if you need yeah, yeah. advice on a hosting system or anything like that, I'm happy to do it. <laughs> okay. And I also, I really like, I love that you guys have this YouTube channel. I'm I'm of the opinion that YouTube is the lowest hanging fruit in the world of fintech for storytelling right now. In the world of financial services, like nobody is doing a good job of telling these stories on, on YouTube with video. Like there's a lot of great podcasts, everything else, but the, the video piece is lacking. And I think that's where, especially if we're going to incept these things into the minds of Gen Z, like we have to have video and it needs to be where Gen Z actually lives, which is you know, I th- not, I, what, what not where we're TikTok? putting stuff.
1: Have you followed hashtag FinTalk?
0: Do you no, have a TikTok so I I, d- I don't have a TikTok. This is this you, you is gotta where this, this is you gotta this is out. where I become an old curmudgeon a little don't, bit. Don't don't come on. Don't ever become an old curmudgeon. You know, it's, it's, it's I'm I'm it's rarely a, ch- a curmudgeon. It's <laughs> just when it comes to TikTok, <laughs> I've gotten on it. I have tried to experience like every time I get on it, it's s- something that I'm supposed to think is funny. That I inherently don't understand why anyone would think it is funny. (laughs) It's
1: like, uh, don't repeat repeat this in any other circles. This, okay, wait, this is already public. So, okay, no, I mean,
0: but this is the thing is like Web3, DeFi, like all of that shit. Like, I'm like, let's go, let's do it. But TikTok, for some reason, I'm like, (laughs) absolutely not. I want nothing to do with you. This is the passing fancy that I'm going to just skip. But,
1: anyways, well, talking about (laughs) passing fancy, if you look at the hashtag fin talk on TikTok, Okay that went from 100 million to like 500 million i want to say in a span okay. of few months earlier this year that really caught my attention because people were going there to that t- hashtag for financial advice
0: was this at the same time as wall street bets <laughs> it's
1: all it's obviously all connected it's all yeah. obviously all connected yeah. but it wasn't just that you know you have like a you know of, of course you have i think wall street journal by the way has done a couple of articles on this about financial advice via TikTok. And then there's a whole, as like with any environment, there are a whole group of people that are selling like crap, telling people horrible things, bad advice, yep. but there's a That's whole- That's all one. I see. That's yeah, but there's others that are not, that are like like the, these guys we profile in Savvy, who are basically Instagram influencers, who, who, who actually have compelling personal stories, like how they got yep. out of a lot of debt. And look, like, what do they do? What discipline they took and like how they fought off all these choices and how they're managing the system. Those stories are on TikTok. Anyway, something to talk about another time.
0: No, I mean, it, it is interesting. It is interesting. I think the thing that's kept me away from it is the I think it's just like a confirmation bias of every time I open Twitter and I see any kind of TikTok oriented financial advice, it's like. What it's some hell. guy. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's it's some guy with his, you know, like some bro wearing a whatever, doing there's bro the, things, there's a lot of talking money. about. Well, I, I traded in and out of uh, in and out of AMC fourteen times today. I have no understanding <laughs> I mean, of my tax burden, but I just netted eighteen dollars. And you can do the same if you waste your entire day. It's like what the fuck. So I'm a well, little biased, but I'll get I'll be open minded if you tell yeah, me be to be open minded. And also, the question is, this is pretty powerful.
1: It's a massive reach, growing like crazy, right? Yeah. How do we use it?
0: I don't. I don't disagree. Just let me get over my curmudgeon-ness and then All let's right. have that conversation. All right, let's do that. I'm, let's do I'm, that. I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I'm just. Uh, I'm, I'm very, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to be a late adopter on this one. Yeah. I'll be an er- <laughs> a, I'll be an early adopter on everything else I'm in not, life. I'm
1: not really an adopter, but I just find <laughs> it like you know anything that has this kind of reach, right, is having this kind of impact, especially with the new generation. I guess, I guess that's like the VC in me, right? You got, you got to pay attention. It has some meaning. Yeah. Does it well, no, I mean, you're, what does it yeah, mean? You
0: know? Yeah. It's fair. I mean, the, the, just the idea that it's addictive enough that it's the, the Chinese government, what did they decide to do? They turned it off from like 10 AM to six or 10 PM to 6 AM or something like that. I know people who've got rid of the app because they found it so addictive. That's like, why I don't have Instagram anymore because it wasn't good for my mental health. Honestly, <laughs> I just have LinkedIn and Twitter because those are the. I mean, yeah, not exactly. not the Twitter is really great for my mental health. but yeah, exactly. I was gonna say that. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me, tell me more about like your day to day at Flourish and like what specific. I mean, you guys cover such a broad area you could be investing in so many you know verticals embedded finance this that the other um what do you spend most of your day thinking about
1: so you know i and i've ended up in sort of all these different things that we do at flourish you know so i I spend part of my time talking to startups looking at deals and i have my interests like in in you know we open data was one of the areas i was telling you about on compliance systems identity systems Um, more sort of the real sort of deep infrastructure stuff and Mm -hmm. basically given my background exposure experience, you know, that's the stuff that I think my mind goes to. It's not that I don't talk
0: to other startups. Yeah. What do you see in, what do you see in the U S as far as open data? That's, that's interesting. Do you feel like we're waiting on a regulatory something to happen before that can really get interesting or is interesting stuff already happening there? I think that definitely things will get more interesting.
1: When the regulatory stuff happens, yeah, no doubt about it. If (laughs) when when, whatever, well, it's it's more meaning. I mean, I want to be. I'm an optimist. uh, You know, even when stuff is you know not working. I remember when we when we launched that program. I was telling you about cell phones. People were like, "People are not eating. People are hungry. How can you talk about cell phones?" And I was like, "You know that people are foregoing eating so they can be on a cell phone. You know, so you got you got to you got to find the the silver lining on what people are doing and." I think the the White House executive order, I don't know if you tracked that earlier this year, where of the two things that they put out for the financial system on competition, one of them was data portability. The other was the mergers and acquisition stuff. So mm-hmm. I, I'm going to take some solace in that, that that's meaningful. I know that the CFPB team, is working on on new 1033 you know 1033 the section of the dot frank act on data portability yep. i think the
0: fintech community now knows that quite well yeah and and talk, so talk more uh, talk a little bit more about that previous piece though cuz my understanding was it was basically a it was a commitment to make a commitment less so than it was necessarily the like the white a, house executive order. yeah the the white house piece yeah
1: white house executive orders are the the executive Telling his administration or her administration, you got to act on this, and it basically means that it's become a political priority. Right. Okay. So it's it's signaling. It's signaling, and then and those who are like the advocates of this at the agencies now have a bit of an air cover. They can point to that and say, look, you know, don't mess around with me, CFPB lawyer. I got to get this done. You know, and so I think it helps (laughs) give them that air cover. And so I'm optimistic that we will see something next year. I think that's pretty significant. And it's really just the beginning, you know, because in fact, I think it was just yesterday that Brazil took a major step on on open finance. You know, so open banking is the checking account data, the basic stuff. Open finance is your entire financial footprint being available. Right through APIs, and and then yep. others getting access to that and then building stuff for you. And the Brazilians, I think, just yesterday, sort of said, "Hey, if you wanted to, uh, you know, all of these are agencies and the insurance providers, and mortgage providers, the lenders, etc., also have to make data available." And there's a process that they kicked off to make mm-hmm. that happen. So that's you know uh, super exciting because. Unlike the US and a lot of other countries, I would say 18, 20 countries, it's been driven by rules. It's been driven by frameworks. I think that's, you know, it doesn't matter. It can be, it can come any other way, but if you're an innovator, I think it makes a huge difference when those standards are clear. I mean, look at the Web3 crypto conversation, right? You want clarity so that you can build stuff and make something happen. And I think the rest of the world, you have a lot more clarity. It could be a lot better, no doubt about it. But you just have a lot more rules and a lot more clarity. You just don't have that here. And uh, I'm also optimistic because the conversation is evolving on rules because I don't know if you saw Plaid's announcement with a bunch of other companies on this, um, what are they calling it? Open finance data security standard, something like that. Oh
0: yeah, I saw saw the headline, but yeah, yeah, I haven't
1: haven't read the whole thing Uh, yet.
0: You know, I'm a big fan,
1: I, I mean, look, you could criticize like, Hey, these are a bunch of companies coming up with ideas and it's kind of siloed. And what does it mean for the full market? You can, you can look, you know, say all of those things, but fundamentally you can say the same thing about the government. Yeah, exactly. It takes the conversation <laughs> forward. They looked right. at, I think, you know, like 12, 10, 12 categories. They have like 63, 60 plus, I think, I don't know why I came up with 60, 60 plus, uh, uh kind of, uh, you know, uh, uh sort of, you know, standards or security suggestions across the range across those 10, 12 areas. I think mm-hmm. that's a, that's great. So if we can now talk about specifics, right? We can look at all of those and say, I don't like this. I like this piece better. I think it takes the conversation forward. I think all of that is very positive for this market. And in fact, when we did our study with McKinsey, you know, this was how we originally started talking, Zach, a few months back. We, yeah. we, we quantified the GDP impact of open data systems on a multiple dimensions, and the two most important ones are just the level of data sharing that's happening and the standards. You know, two by two, simple. Yep. And on the you know level of data sharing, it's pretty it's pretty cool given all the private sector activity that's happening in the U.S. Right, Plaid and a bunch of others, and now we have payroll data and other data. I can see that just happening more and more. Yeah. It's been the standards that has kept the real impact on GDP back. In our in our analysis, and so these steps I think are very positive. And one to two percent of GDP impact—that's nothing to sneeze at. Just from this stuff. Yeah.
0: No, it's a lot I mean, to McKinsey. At.
1: Like you know, yeah. I would trust the analysis on this kind of stuff.
0: You know, and I think that's a huge deal. It's a it's a gigantic deal. I'm still so curious about the like the private versus public. It's almost like a race. And I think at the end of the day, we're all kind of working together. So maybe race is the wrong term, but some of you know some of the ways that private companies are trying to solve for RTP before Fed now, yeah, uh, does Fed later whatever it is, uh, you know that whole situation. And then on the data privacy stuff, like one of my favorite companies here locally uh, is a company called Triple Triple Blind. Yeah. So DAWs, I mean I feel like depending on how fast things move, Triple Blind may take over the world and become that protocol before the protocol comes from on high in Washington. You know, I I, I don't know, but Daz has done crazier things in his life. I think that's fine. You know? Yeah, I I know. I agree. I mean, I think I, yes, agreed. I think that's fine. I think, I think the,
1: look, when we, we engage with regulators and one of the big thing we tell regulators is that you got to engage with the innovation. It's the basic thing you got to do. You know, you can't be afraid yeah. of it, you gotta engage with it, you gotta understand it, you know, and because if you believe you're gonna come up with with the sort of the next frontier of technical innovation, you're totally mistaken. You know, this just never gonna happen. And and so I think if it's you know, that's what's one of the great things about the US is that you that you have this emergent, you know, the private sector is always ahead, you know, and and but the regulators need to kind of absorb. These new ideas and build the frameworks around it, and so that once that foundation is established, then true innovation, widespread innovation, can unlock. You
0: know? Yeah. Well, you guys are building that ecosystem. I've, I, I mean, I wouldn't have had you and M on if I didn't believe in what Flourish is doing. And thanks. Zach. Obviously, a big fan of the entire ecosystem building you're doing, from investing in private companies to you know facilitating the Davids and the Jo of the world. So consider me a fan consider me you know a proponent um and the last question that i always have to ask is yes. how can the for fintech sake audience help you slash how can folk get in touch if they're wanting to you know pitch you something talk to you about something whatever it might be totally open for pitch and please you know contact us we i'm on twitter we're on linkedin we
1: are easy to get to we are i, I would like to believe highly responsive so open to any ideas anything you're doing to change the system and beautiful you know so so truly welcome that and appreciate the support zach
0: for sure for sure right. absolutely i'll put all that in the show notes and uh we'll have to we're, we're gonna have to talk offline about this money laundering stuff because we could we could yeah, probably we do should. some cool things yeah yeah, yeah.
1: yeah, yeah. We, we have a i have i made a whole bunch of notes here we have tons of follow-up look forward to catch <laughs> i love soon. it all right i love it awesome all right. thanks Good for me. You. take it easy buddy
0: Thanks for joining the conversation, everybody. Hope you enjoyed our chat with Kabir. Jump into the show notes to learn more and find Kabir on the internets. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, review, and all the other things I'm supposed to remind you to do in your favorite podcast app as a podcast that you listen to sometimes, occasionally, hopefully often. And if you want our weekly emails, go to forfintechsake.com and subscribe there. Until next time, stay healthy, keep your head high, and come on 2022, do us good. I want to go outside. See y'all.